The Supreme Court blocks much of the Biden administration's federal vaccine mandate as state lawmakers move forward with a bill trying to restrict mandates in Indiana. We have a reaction to the governor's state of the state address and the controversy over curriculum as we hear from House Minority Leader Phil Giaquinta, plus Senator Mike Braun on the fight over the filibuster. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. Omicron variant is causing millions of cases and record hospitalizations. They're crowding our hospitals, leaving little room for anyone else who might have a heart attack or an injury in an automobile accident or any injury at all. President Biden updating the nation on the pandemic, announcing more at-home tests being sent out. But that same day, the Biden administration suffering a big loss legally, with the Supreme Court blocking most of the federal vaccine mandates, at least for now. That's where we begin today as cases continue to surge to record levels across the Hoosier state. So what will this court ruling mean here and across the country? Jesse Tunor has more from our Washington Bureau. It's a big blow to the Biden administration. Large companies do not have to require their employees to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or tested weekly and wear a mask on the job. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down the Biden administration's rule for businesses with at least 100 employees. It essentially means that in, the, in this pandemic, it is up to individual employers to determine whether their workplaces will be safe for employees. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the requirement would have prevented unnecessary hospitalizations and deaths. But South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham argues the administration needed congressional approval. No president is a king. Wisconsin Democrat Senator Tammy Baldwin worries lives are at risk. This ruling injures public health um, and causes more people to die. The ruling impacts more than 80 million people. I am a grocery guy. I'm not the vaccine police. The justices fast-tracked the case brought by grocery store owner Brandon Trosclair and other large employers and heard it last week. There's nothing else that will perform that function better than incentivizing people strongly to vaccinate themselves. Justice Elena Kagan said the employer rule was appropriate, but Justice Amy Coney Barrett suggested it was too broad. That the problem here is its scope and that there's no differentiation between the risk faced by unvaccinated 22-year-olds and unvaccinated 60-year-olds or industries. Jesse Turner reporting. Attorney General Todd Rokita, who filed three lawsuits against the mandate, said this ruling is, quote, a win for his work to protect the individual liberties of Hoosiers and all Americans. Governor Eric Holcomb said he respects the ruling, adding, quote, while I believe the vaccine is the number one tool in protecting us, it's not the state or federal government's role to issue a vaccine mandate on businesses. Meantime, at the State House, Governor Holcomb delivered his State of the State address this week, touching on the pandemic and the economy, but avoiding most of the hot button issues that state lawmakers are debating in this year's session. Kristen Eskow has more from the State House. Governor Eric Holcomb touching on several topics during this year's State of the State address, including public health, COVID-19, and education. One of the biggest topics during this speech, the state of Indiana's economy. The state of our economy is Indiana strong. Governor Eric Holcomb making his first return to a joint session of the Indiana legislature in two years. Holcomb starting off his sixth State of the State address discussing Indiana's surplus and economic growth in recent years. Today, more than 73,000 more Hoosiers are working compared to just before the pandemic hit. 
73,000 more. The governor also touting the state's $1.9 billion investment in schools approved last session, saying it's already made an impact. More than 85% of school corporations have raised teacher base salaries by an average of nearly $1,800 in the 2020-2021 school year, and 99% are expected to raise salaries in the current school year. Holcomb called on lawmakers to help increase access to early childhood education and bring more teachers into Indiana's workforce. He also says the state has work to do when it comes to public health. Indiana ranks 46th in obesity, 46th in smoking, 40th in childhood immunizations. Holcomb points out his public health commission will issue recommendations on improving Indiana's public health system in time to rewrite the state's budget in 2023. Holcomb closed by addressing the state's COVID-19 surge, its biggest yet. Shortly before a standing ovation for health care workers, he issued a plea for Hoosiers to get vaccinated. Even if you've disagreed with every position I've taken, because I, I want us both to be around to continue to have those disagreements. Governor Holcomb says he also wants mental health to be a priority this year, saying he wants to make more investments in recruitment and retention in that field. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Escal. Now we spoke with Democratic and Republican legislative leaders after the governor's address. Senate Minority Leader Greg Taylor says the governor painted a rosy picture of the state's economy, but said many Hoosiers are still struggling during the pandemic. We have a lot of good things from an economic standpoint, from a state financial picture. But if you ask the average Hoosier, they're still trying to find a way to take care of their families during these very trying times. Now, the governor did not mention several bills Republican leaders have been prioritizing, including vaccine mandates, school curriculum and permitless carry bills. Republican leaders were asked if this is a sign of any disconnect between them and the governor. The governor's got some that are uh, high priorities to uh, him and his administration and, and uh, my colleagues and, and caucus members and uh, the House have uh, issues that are, that are important to them. So, uh, um, you know, we'll work together and, and, and figure out the, the right place to land. But um, I think this is just part of the legislative process. Now, this week, one of the biggest controversies at the State House involved that bill dealing with school curriculum, with one state senator suggesting that schools should be neutral on things like fascism and Nazism. Well, that bill is now off the table with a similar bill moving forward still in the House with some changes. As News Nation's Kelly Beeson reports, it's a controversy that's drawn national attention. Well, this is a bill making national headlines, generating strong feelings among parents and teachers across the country. This is a tumultuous, difficult bill and topic. Indiana State Senator Scott Baldwin is one of the authors of Senate Bill 167 that would prohibit schools from teaching certain concepts, including that any sex, race, ethnicity, religion, color, national origin or political affiliation is inherently superior or inferior to another. It would also ban schools from teaching that people should feel discomfort or guilt for those characteristics. It's legislation that's quickly been thrust into the national spotlight, making a cameo Monday evening on The Late Show. In December, Baldwin introduced a bill that would prohibit schools from teaching a variety of concepts, leaving shop class and six hours of dodgeball. 
The bill also allows parents to opt their kids out of certain lessons and allows both parents and school staff members to sue districts they believe to be in violation. Some Republicans say the legislation is about ensuring transparency and allowing parents to have more of a voice in ensuring schools stay neutral. Other Democrats argue the proposal goes too far. If a I think they're just bringing up <clears throat> slavery and a student automatically feels that it has triggered something that makes them uncomfortable, that they don't like it. What happens to that teacher at that point? This bill isn't about not bringing to light historical injustices. This bill is about letting our kids just be neutral and figure it out for themselves. They have not yet voted on the bill. I'm Kelly Beeson. Back to you. Kelly, thanks. While the Senate version of that bill has now been tabled, the House version was approved in committee with some changes. This week we heard from lawmakers on both sides. I am concerned about the fact that teachers have already expressed, and as well as uh, universities of higher learning, have expressed that uh, it is restricting the free flow of instruction in schools. Facts <clears throat> is different than theory. And that's where I'm going with this. Teach the facts. The facts will talk to students. This week, I also spoke one-on-one -on -one with House Minority Leader Phil Giaquinta. Are you surprised at all that, that the governor didn't mention or allude to any of these controversies in his State of the State address? Um, not really, no. I mean, I think, um, I think the governor recognizes that we uh, have some serious issues that we need to work on um, uh, in the state. And despite being a short session, I think there's some you know, time to do some really good things that we can do to help help Hoosiers. Unfortunately, the bills that have been that we've seen uh, being submitted by uh, House Republicans aren't doing much to uh, help uh, everyday Hoosiers. And that's that's been very disappointing so far. And whether or not Nazism is bad, I mean, of course it's bad, and, and, um, and, and the problem is it puts the state in a really bad light. And All right, now again, the Senate version of that bill now off the table. We have more of that interview on our website. In the meantime, back in Washington, as we mentioned, a challenging week for the president, not just because of the Supreme Court ruling, but also in Congress, where the president had hoped to get Senate Democrats to get rid of the filibuster to pass voting rights legislation. We have no option but to change the Senate rules, including getting rid of the filibuster for this. But then days later, Senators Manchin and Sinema said they weren't in favor of changing the Senate rules to pass voting rights legislation. We also heard from Indiana Senator Todd Young. Frustrating as it may be, the filibuster, in its way, is a source of, and sometimes the source of, order and even unity. It was a long time ago when I predicted that uh, the voting rights bill, uh, the John Lewis voting rights bill, both of them are being considered. If the agenda failed, which it has on like big Build Back Better and all the spending, that they would turn to that. And it would be the issue that they would risk uh, breaching the filibuster on. And we also asked Braun about his future plans and whether he'll run for governor in 2024. When might you make a final decision on a possible campaign? So uh, from almost the time that I got elected senator, I was asked about running for governor. I'm going to serve Hoosiers as a U.S. senator. I'll have to make my mind up on what I'm going to do politically here probably within a year or so. All right, we'll see what happens. Meantime, another potential candidate for governor, Congressman Trey Hollingsworth, announcing this week he won't run for re-election to the House this year. 
setting up an open seat in the 9th District. State Senator Erin Houchin already announcing that she'll run again for Congress in that district later this year. We'll talk about that coming up with our panel. Also straight ahead, the governor giving his state of the state address, but didn't say much of anything about those two hot button issues, vaccine mandates and the controversy over curriculum. We'll talk about that with our panelists as well. And later we'll talk about the impact of the college football playoff here in the Hoosier State. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's bring in our panel now. Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, Tony Samuel. Jennifer, I'll start with you. Rough week here for the Biden administration on a number of fronts, including the Supreme Court ruling against the OSHA vaccine mandates. It has been a rough, uh, rough few weeks for the president. And obviously this was not any better news, um, although you know, with 63% of Americans uh, vaccinated and only 38% boosted, I don't know what else we're supposed to do but tell people they need to get uh, get the jab in their arm. What I'm hopeful for here in Indiana moving forward is that, you know, private businesses retain the ability if they so desire to enforce a vaccine mandate on their employees, that lawmakers don't upend that uh, and get in the, in the business of regulating the private sector in that way. Tony, let's talk about that. What will this ruling potentially mean here in Indiana with lawmakers trying to limit exactly how Indiana businesses can operate with their own vaccine mandates? I think it strengthens the effort uh, that House Republicans are making uh, for exemptions on religious uh, grounds and uh, other grounds. Um, if you look at what's happening around the country, uh, the Omicron variant uh, takes up 97.3% of COVID cases. The Delta is only at 2.7. The vaccines were made uh, to be mandated for the Delta variant. This variant, the Omicron, uh, the, the vaccines aren't effective. And that's why you see so many people that are vaccinated uh, still catching COVID. It's well, and we don't, Omicron we, variant. We don't want to so, say they're not effective entirely, perhaps a waning uh, efficacious. Uh, oh, fair but, enough. But fair certainly enough. Uh, so, still so, protect so the, the from court, the Supreme Court ruled, and death and whatnot. Right. The Supreme Court ruled uh, correctly when you have a vaccine uh, that's not uh, that's waning or that's not uh, completely effective. How can you then mandate it? Also, the OSHA rule was the, the wrong way to do it. And Congress should have acted. Uh, uh, it was a Cong congressional responsibility. Robin, your response to that? And, and were you surprised at all that, that Governor Holcomb uh, really largely avoided that topic entirely in, in his state of the state address when it comes to those mandates? Uh, specifically that, that House Republicans and Senate Republicans are, are trying to uh, limit at the State House. Well, I'm not, no, I'm not surprised. First off, they have such a supermajority, they're probably going to get that through. You got to remember, this group was going to bring everybody back for one day to address this issue. I find it ironic that the U.S. Supreme Court requires people that are in the U.S. Supreme Court arguing to wear N95 masks and that seven of the justices, Sotomayor wasn't there, but actually wore masks themselves. Gorsuch did not wear one mask. But this is about, as Jennifer said earlier, I don't know what more you can do. I mean, we have laid all the facts out. It's a personal decision. This really boils down to public health versus personal decision. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, they're going to make personal decisions that could go the wrong way. Uh, Mike, I want to get your reaction to everything at, happening at the State House this week, uh, including, as we mentioned, the governor's state of the state, uh, avoiding in that speech not only the, this fight over vaccine mandates, he didn't also, uh, also didn't want to wade into this controversy over curriculum and, and the national attention that we've seen over that issue with, with Senator Baldwin's bill now off the table after uh, some of his controversial comments. 
Well, first of all, the governor had so much good news to talk about, and the media only gives him so much, you know, live TV time. So he was struggling to get all the good news in. Those other two issues are going to take care of themselves. The Supreme Court ruled on the, on the mandates, um, and this critical race theory seems to be kind of uh, fading in its glory, uh, not just because of Baldwin's, you know, stupid statements, but, but because the, the content is, is frankly not needed. It's, it's been politicized uh, by both parties. I'm just surprised that, that Trump is not being a greater advocate for people, for his voters to get the jab because he needs them to be alive to vote for him in 2024. If he keeps losing people by the thousands, that makes the Biden uh, or the Democratic uh, margin even greater in 2020. We have started to hear him speak about it uh, just a little bit more frequently here in, in recent days, including about the booster shot. But Jennifer, let's get back to that that controversy at the at the state house, as we said, kind of went national on on this issue of curriculum. A number of national news articles. It was on Colbert. Uh, your reaction to everything we've seen on that front this week? Yeah, I I don't know why it is so hard for you know Indiana Republicans to say Nazism is bad. Racism is bad. And if you look at some of the national polling on the issue of curriculum and how to talk about our history, you'll find that, you know, well over 70% quite often agree that we do need to talk about the good and the bad, including the very bad. And while there is some disagreement about the how, I can't believe that we're having this conversation in the General Assembly of over-regulating our teachers, of making them post their curriculum online. It's ridiculous. We're going to have enough trouble keeping teachers in the workforce, you know, after all the heck, heck we've put them through uh, the last two years being in school and out of school. We should be doing all we can uh, to you know, make sure that they are paid a good wage and that they stay in the classroom. We'll see what happens with that bill in the House. The Senate bill now off the table, though, as we know, a lot of things can come back at the end of a legislative session for sure. Let's change gears here as we talk about this uh, midterm election year. Tony, we saw Congressman Hollingsworth announce he won't run for Congress again this year. Do you think he's a lock to run for governor at this point? Oh, I, I wouldn't say lock, but I, I would say that uh, his move uh, to uh, step away from Congress is a, a fairly good indication that he wants to run for governor. The rumors have been swirling for quite a bit. And, um, you know, there's him, there's others, there's Braun, as, as uh, we saw his answer earlier in the show. Um, I, I think he might be another one and, and uh, probably at least two or three other serious contenders. The lieutenant governor, I think, is top of the list. She's a great fundraiser. She's got name ID, and she's been in the administration for eight years. Yeah. Robin, what about Senator Braun? We heard from him earlier. Sounds like he, he may still be considering a run for governor as well. Well, I think they're going to have um, the cast of Ben-Hur, or to be more current, the mummy running in their primary. going to be a lot of people running. Uh, we've got to focus on our side of the aisle and get stop, a good, solid candidate ready for 24 so that we can end uh, this one-party rule of our state. Mike, this also leads to an open seat in the 9th District. Could be an interesting race there. When Hollingsworth was first elected, this was a five-way primary in the GOP. Yes. Erin uh, Houchins, I think, has a good start. She got 25% in the 2016 uh, primary to Hollingsworth's, I think, 33%. But she's a good conservative state senator for the uh, south part of the state. Um, she's known as a hard worker, does good work for a constituent site. Certainly expect her to have a jump. I think she had a fundraiser on Thursday night already before, before the seats even cold. So um, 
but you know, the governor's race, we're going to have six people running for governor, probably five yeah. white males and a female Lieutenant Governor Crouch. And uh, the history Ooh. of supporting women running for governor, wanting to run for governor is not good. Uh, you know, we, we, we cast aside Sue Ann Gilroy, we pushed aside Sue Elsperman, and we told Becky Skillman, we patted her on the head and told her to go away. And I've told mm. Sue, uh, to Suzanne okay. Crouch, don't let them push you out. Keep we'll running. We'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, our thanks to the panel. They'll be back in a little bit. Also ahead, we'll talk about the impact of the college football playoff here in the Hoosier State. Stick around. We're right back after this. Ahead of this Martin Luther King Day weekend, state and city leaders gathered at the State House for the annual MLK celebration, recognizing those who continue the civil rights icon's work. This year, the governor presented Laura Smith Wynn with the Sagamore of the Wabash Award for her work with the Indiana Parenting Institute. Big day for the Hoosier State this past Monday with Indy hosting the College Football Playoff National Championship. Afterwards, we heard from Mayor Joe Hogsett. I don't think there's any other city in the country who could pull this off as Indianapolis has done. 68,000 fans attended the game at Lucas Oil Stadium, volunteers logging more than 20,000 hours. The host committee said the weekend should generate about $150 million in economic impact. We're back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers next. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, you're up first. Loser of the week, Joe Biden. I feel like I say it every week, but uh, it was CNN's John Berman that said he is on a very big losing streak. Uh, also, Kamala Harris gave a terrible interview on the Today Show. Robin. Dr. Martin Luther King. Great weekend. Happy King Day. Mike? Only losers this week. Uh, Senator Scott Baldwin for bringing us uh, unwanted national attention again on the Colbert Show for saying stupid things. And then uh, Stuart Rhodes, the leader of Oath Keepers, uh, indicted for seditious conspiracy. The first sedition yeah. trial probably since uh, 1954 when the Puerto Ricans attacked the Capitol. Jennifer. You know, sometimes really smart people say not such smart things, and it's not Scott Baldwin, it's Mitch Daniels for asking where all the men are up at Purdue. Oh, man, he really stepped in it, and I'm, you know, watching all those female engineering grads light him up. Mm. Like, he kind of deserves it. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week.